And we're live with our 188th episode of Absolute AppSec. I am Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode. We're excited to be back today. Um, have a few articles that we want to discuss that are right up our alley. And But before we get going, I know I've mentioned it in the past, but DeepSec is coming um, in about a month, just over a month. Uh, and we are teaching there, or we we will be we should be right. Uh, we'll see if that you know we meet all the minimums and everything. So there are seats available. If you are interested, please sign up uh, so that you know we can make sure it, it happens for Central Europe. That's Vienna, in uh, yeah, it's just about a month, right, Ken? Yeah. Um, yep. Oh my God! Yeah, pretty much exactly. Yeah, so I'll yep. drop the link in there. Um, if you're interested, please join us um, and and sign up today, right? So we can actually you know make that happen. Uh, otherwise, we have submitted for a couple other conferences, international as well, um, things in Asia and here locally, or you know quasi locally, right, in the states uh, for early next year. If you have a conference where you'd like to see practical secure code review taught or, you know, secure code review in general, or you would like to see us go on the road, let us know. We will submit CFPs and not just training if there are interesting conferences near you. Um, yeah. Anything else, Ken, from an uh, announcement yeah. perspective? No, I did want to mention that in two weeks, October 27th, 28th, if you're in Austin, Texas, uh, the LASCON 2022, uh, uh, conference is going on. There's going to be uh, some, so Jim Manico's key, keynoting, so that'll be nice. And then uh, on the, the after the lunch break on day one, James Wicket, uh, Jeff Williams, some big names will be, uh, you know, just talking there, speaking there. And then uh, Alex, uh, gosh, how do you say the last name of Hexpunk? Uh, Alex Busishi? Oh. I don't know how to yeah. say it. Um, but Alex is going to be presenting. And then another friend of ours, John Poulin, who I mentioned was giving a one-day training at AppSec uh, Global in San Francisco um, soon here. Actually, I forget the dates, but soon. Um, and then, yeah, so John's giving a talk on defense in-depth engineering. Um, obviously, I work with John, so and Seth has worked with John. So, yeah, anyways, last con's coming up. I think, uh, did you mention Cactus Con? I was reading the schedule. Uh, I don't think you did, did you? No, I haven't yet. Nope, go ahead. So we are we have submitted for CactusCon, but either way, both of us are pretty committed to actually just attending last or I'm about to say last con CactusCon, and that's going to be at the end of January. So again, if you're out in Arizona, um, end of January, uh, we'll be there. We're definitely we're trying to, uh, frankly, just get back into the, you know, I guess what would you call it, Seth? Like the 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 consistent traveling to conferences, is, yes. kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's been a little off, right? Like, so LASCON, um, I can't remember what happened. Um, I, I mean, we just didn't get a, a submission in. Um, I actually will be, that's the same time that SaintCon is going on here locally in Utah. Um, and so I'll be down there, like the local OWASP chapter has a booth that I'll be, you know, sitting at and helping out with. Um but outside of that, so LASCON, CactusCon, that's January time frame. Good time to get out of the cold, 
if you're interested, um, I would like to organize some sort of an absolute AppSec just like meet up one night during Cactus Con. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll go out and do some drinks right. or whatever and um, get to know each other even better, right? Like, so our Slack channel, but in person, if you're going to be there. So kind of plan on that if it's, if it's on your radar. Um, let's see. I don't know what else, right? Like I, I do want to get back to a couple of uh, After Dark episodes as well. Um, yeah. We're planning some series. I've been talking with um, Aaron, one of the, you know, the guy that helps us, right, behind the scenes about doing just a series of short, uh, you know, welcome to AppSec videos. Um, also on the Absolute AppSec channel. So we have more content that's planned. Uh, watch the channel for that. Um, there's a lot going on. And if you would like swag, please join Slack reach out. Uh, we'll, we'll send it out. I know I have at least a couple more packages that need to go out within the next, you know, couple of weeks. Uh, so we are preparing another shipment. If you haven't gotten your swag and you've asked me, just hit up, hit me up again. Um, if I haven't told, given you a thumbs up that you're on the list, then uh, yeah, bug me about it. We'll send out some stickers and a t-shirt to you. Um, yeah, I think that's everything for now uh, from a from an announcement perspective, um, as always, jump into Slack and join a, join the discussion. That's where that's where things happen, and that community is just getting bigger and bigger. Um, at some point, I you know I I start to question whether we need to move to Discord or something else, right, Ken? Um, yeah, just to keep a record of what's actually going on, right? Uh, Slack or hackerish, yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's more that you know the the freemium version of slack right or the free version of slack uh only allows for so many messages to be uh public right at any given time so we kind of lose that historical view into the slack channel um you can't search back and the number of people that we have in there doesn't necessarily lend itself well to uh you know to paying for it, right? Like, you know, given that this is a labor of love. Uh, the pricing model's insane. It would cost yeah. so much, so much money. People have no idea if they've never investigated the pricing model. Not that I have anything against Slack or anything. It's just it's very, very expensive. Yep. Cost prohibitive, we'll say. It's cost, so. Yep, it is cost prohibitive, right? At least for, for our use case. So uh, we'll probably look into a couple of different options. Um, but hopefully keep the Slack channel open for... Yeah, regular, regular usage. Um, uh, I've yeah. seen an, a mention of IRC. Yeah, should we we're gonna go full. To we're just gonna go full <laughs> circle back to IRC. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, it's not a bad idea. I don't know. Like Slack. I don't. Anyways, so maybe we're moving to Discord. We'll see. I guess. Uh, I also wanted to mention we had I had talked uh, in DMs with someone who reached out about uh, asking for more resources about source code review, which is such a, you know, I, I, I mentioned to them, I was like, well, I, we will do our best because we, we already do this a bit for the course, but the materials we give, we kind of discuss the, a lot of the cons more so than the pros, not because it's like, so I, I just want to get this, make sure I'm clear on this. I'm not saying that it's like, Oh, like we're just like, we, we have the, the good info and there's no good info out there on source code review. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that a lot of it's geared towards, most of it's geared usually towards specific code examples and working with specific types of tech stacks. It's very problematic because like we've talked about it at 
length, but you're you don't have control over what you're going to review. And you, we we what we teach is more of a sort of like a uh, pick up any tech stack and go kind of thing. Um, and so yeah, and then some of them are very academic and very lengthy, and that is not to be. A criticism that can be, you know, there can be value there for sure. Um, I know we read over them when we were trying to see what everybody else had made and as we were making our course. Uh, but the again, the problem is like it, it's rooted in academia. And I think as most people know, academia and, and the real world are very, two very different places. Um, so the approaches are very, very different. Uh, so anyways, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, we'll put, do our best to put together a list. Can't promise it's going to be an uber exhaustive list yeah. for that reason. Well, and I mean, we do have that blog post up that's on absoluteabsec.com. I posted it in both the, uh, yeah, the episode notes and into Slack. Um, that's a good place to start. Um, we do have a white paper that is centered around our course as well. Um, it is very kind of, you know, as Ken said, generic to um, the process as opposed to a specific technology or framework or language. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we're trying to get more resources out there. It's just, it's a matter of limited time and availability for Ken and I, right? that's, that's what it comes down to. So we are trying to utilize others. Um, and if you're interested in that process and helping out, you know, we're, we're trying to make this a community thing, not necessarily just a Ken and Seth thing. Right. Dude, a pull request would be, we could always do a pull request on absolute AppSec repo and then just have people contribute to it yeah yep yep and then we can push that straight to the the site as well yeah uh, for sure yep so yeah i i think i did respond to somebody that had dm'd about the uh secure code review process it might have been the same person that reached out to you ken um but you know we are active from time to time on twitter not as much as we used to be at one point um but uh, yeah, we will try to respond and at least give you the resources that we have. Yeah, for sure. Um, otherwise, yeah, maybe we get into it for today. Sure, uh, we got a lot to cover, so happy to dig and, in. And, and this actually feeds right into uh, the Secure Code Review course. So, I mean, Ken was the one that brought this uh, article to my attention. Yeah, uh, I'm putting it in right now here. Okay. Uh, there we go. Yes. And um, so... Gosh, it's so lengthy. <laughs> it is. It is, right? Um, yeah, let's see, though. Basically, uh, it looks like... I don't know who did the interview with David Wheeler, uh, but from the Linux Foundation. And um, what I'm finding, and I, I, I absolutely agree with this. I know you and I have talked about training just a couple of weeks ago um, about the focus of security training is very much like exploit driven or low level. And um, his call out here is that we don't teach developers how to write secure software. We actually teach them how to protect against specific vulnerabilities. Right. Um, and this even goes back to a lot of the awareness documents, a lot of um, focus that we spend or we as an industry spend our time on. Right. Like you look at CVEs, how much time we, we spend branding a specific CVE 
and you know trying to protect against it, writing tools against a specific CVE. Um, and so once it's solved uh, or once it's patched up to a certain level, um, it becomes less of an issue. We, we all move on as an industry, but the focus that we give to developers is based on specific exploits, uh, specific attack patterns, um, and kind of our favorites, right? Uh, whether that's like an industry, if whether or not it's intended or not, that is the message that they get as opposed to, hey, here are the security principles that you should be protecting against. Um, and I know this was a discussion that you and I had when we were starting to build out the course again as well, um, how we frame the conversations about security and software, right? Uh, there's a reason that we don't necessarily focus on the OWASP top 10 when we're talking about secure software, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, which is like kind of a point. No, it's a point of contention I have a bit with the article because it states that 90 to 95% of the vulnerabilities all fall into a common set of classes. That's, yeah, I mean, you can zoom out and zoom out and zoom out and zoom out as much as you want until you could just say like, I don't know, all of them are an issue because user inputs being, I don't know, insecurely, pass to functions you could just like keep it super generic and say yeah okay well 90 to 95 percent of things fall into that you know or, or whatever so i don't really know the criteria of a statement like that for i guess in terms of uh i mean yeah sure there are definitely like i think if we were to talk about authorization alone some of the biggest things that we see go wrong are all under the well or a lot of them are under the umbrella of authorization now that gets a little nuanced and I mean, a lot nuanced, uh, but when I say we, I mean like things you and I come across um, or at, at news that we report on in this podcast, a lot of the underlying uh, issues are, are authorization. So I want to say, yes, cool. A lot of them are common classes, but I think like uh, really forget about the category of vulnerabilities for a second and take maybe more of a philosophical approach would be my advice. Start thinking yeah. of people as untrusted like you don't i mean everybody talks about zero trust and all that stuff right think about it like that you're writing something that should have no trust in who's interacting with it how it's being interacted with and and then work your way from there into the more technical bits but anyways that's kind of my uh my one little nit about I, overall i very much liked what uh david was saying but uh like yeah that's just maybe my only there i would say also i i didn't realize dave david willer was was local and and that george mason is making an attempt see george mason is obviously very close to me uh they're making an attempt to to overhaul that i would honestly i kind of want to reach out to david and be like hey i'm local you ever want someone to come talk about why code being secure is you know important i'd be happy to volunteer and raise my hand because like i really do think man like if we if they got some pros in there to, to walk in and say like, here's our experience here. Like just give people the kind of like, here's what you're up against. Right. So prepare for that. And when you build software, have that adversarial mindset and you know, yes, you're going to do things, you're going to do things the most efficiently, but with that little bend on security, yeah. Yeah. having said all that, even security people write vulnerabilities. Right. Uh -huh. Well, so it's like, going to happen. Gonna right? Yeah. Completely. Yeah. No. 
no, no. And it, it never will. Right. Like, and um, I, yeah, I mean, based on what he was saying specifically about like college courses, right. Like, Oh, you know, we've introduced this course. Um, it's great. But this was the same thing that I struggled with way back when I went to college was that security was never a, um, a requirement, right? It was never a required course. It was a, it was always an afterthought. So it was always a graduate level course that they teach that's optional. Right? So if you're concerned about it, then you go take it um, as a developer, but you can get your degree without ever having learned, you know, well, yeah, ever having thought about security outside of, hey, you know, what's a password, right? Like I have to identify users. Um, and that's those requirements of training developers about security don't get introduced typically until someone has their first professional job or they're actually coding for something that requires compliance um, they run into the security department. And this is how this is how the antagonism actually starts is the developers are trying to develop some functionality and security comes in, product security, whatever it is, and says, no, there's certain there's certain requirements that you have to meet. Um, anyway, so I like I, I feel like we struggle with where to push that and when to start thinking about threats um, from a developer learning developer education perspective. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know what I would, where I was really going with that outside of um, the fact that I saw that it's an optional graduate course, just like kind of set me off. Well, I think um, what you're saying is that the first introduction in real life, not in like the academic setting, but in real life is that, you know, maybe it's secure code requirements that get put on you. Maybe your a scanner hits for, cause you know, we've in security put some security linter essentially or a scanner whatever you want to call it on your product so that when you push your pr to the main branch like okay now someone's going to pop up and say hey you're using you're modifying the csp or you're i don't know touching this function or adding this unsafe function whatever it might be and maybe that's your first um kind of experience or maybe it's like you said uh, it's more of a, Hey, we've got an compliance requirement. So we're going to have this, and this is the worst one. I would almost argue this is the worst one. See, like if your team gives you secure code requirements, cool. They'll work with you. They'll explain it. Cool. Right. If your, uh, linter flags on something and you need clarification, typically your team can sit there and do that with you, whether that's engineer security or both. Uh, the worst one I think though, is when, you know, you might have a very small security team, maybe, the security team is like one or two people. And, you know, the only thing that kind of like, it's like, well, we're, we're beholden to SOC too. So we've got to get our annual third party pen test. Right. And then this is where I think the worst experience is, is when you, you just, that's all the developer knows. Like if somebody came in, they weren't really even maybe given the information on the fact, especially if they're junior, there was going to be a pen test. And all of a sudden maybe, you know, through no fault of their own, they're handed this PDF. that's like, unintelligible with reproduction steps that don't make sense or like just aren't there. And then recommendations that are just highly generic. Then you throw that at a developer and that's their first experience with security. And that has got to be a terrible experience. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the, the, the worst experience. So if we could 
wipe all that away and then start at the academic level with, hey, here's some things you're gonna you're gonna have. To, yes, you're gonna have to code for compliance. Yes, you're gonna have to code for standards. Um, they're gonna be developer standards. They're gonna be security standards. Let's talk about both. You know those kinds of things. So I think that there's a better way to do it for sure. Yeah. I I don't know though, right? Like I, I know that we talk about developer education quite a bit and like you and I have both taught courses to developers. We've done, um, you know, very specific courses to like, you know, mobile security or building mobile applications, building security into different applications. Um, I mean, one, one of the key takeaways that we always have is like, don't trust the user, right? Like that's always something that I harp on. Um, and the course that David highlights or the course curriculum that's also looks like the, you know, the, the Linux foundation has it for free as well. Developing secure software is a good starting point. Uh, but I, like you and I don't have this like um, secret path into teaching developers at a, at a specific point. Right. And I don't think anyone does. Um I would hope that you would see more of this sort of developer education happening in some of those like eight weeks, learn to code Java script, you know, courses. Um, but realistically it's, it, it doesn't happen there. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like, what's your idea? Like, I know that you guys have a robust security, you know, training mechanism at Microsoft slash GitHub. Uh, what has your experience been in training developers as they come on board? Is it, um, is it effective? Like what, what is the approach that has worked best for you uh, in, you know, in bringing those people to, I, I don't know, to the table, to the security table? Yeah, I should really lean in and pull in uh, Jason White and Chris uh, from our uh Partner, security partners team they they handle the training however jason and i before we had all these people we added to security and became a bigger org uh jason and i collaborated in the very beginning on secure code warrior and like just the training program in, in general what i can say is developers are uh very good at giving like very specific feedback um so our experience was and this is why you know i think secure code warrior and we well not i think i mean this is why for sure that we collaborated collaborated with Secure Code Warrior to get custom courses built because, you know, the main complaint was that, you know, like, okay, for example, this is a very hyper-specific example. I think it'll shed some light. So, uh, you know, I'll give two examples. Um, let's say in Rails, you use .html safe and we know that's not safe and that causes XSS, right? With If user input is somehow, all right, okay. And then with Python, we know the common one is pipe raw. Okay, so those two common things. So the course will, as you would expect, have an explanation on, say, why that's bad. And those are the examples. And then you have to choose the correct examples and all that stuff. The real issue, though, and this is where the broader point I do want to get to. So the real issue with that is that, um, you know, we use, a, we use a markdown pipeline, right? So for us, we're doing all this like stuff to, to take all of these different types of formats and mediums and put them through these pipelines so they come out at the end safe and then we render them safely. That's the broadest way I can say it. It's very complicated, not easy. A lot goes into that. But HTML safe, not really our biggest culprit, right? Our biggest issue is a much more complicated one. Okay, so it's going with those vanilla courses are really a problematic because they're not, you can't create things that are hyper-specific. Like I could give you 
two, two, three examples the right way. And then maybe two or three examples of the wrong way. Right. That like, so the one right way and the two or three, and it would be specific to our, the way we handle input and how we render it. And you can easily make a mistake with that kind of like custom way of doing things, but you can, you know, like I said, I can show you the bad examples, show you the good examples. We can get through it. And that's much more applicable to a person's day in and day out. But this is where it kind of gets to this. This is the difficult space as I see it. You want your true sub subject matter experts, which are, should be the engineers who are writing code day in and day out in their specific, whatever part of the monolith or whatever specific service or whatever that they app or whatever they're responsible for you. They are the subject matter experts. And this is where it gets weird because you want them to be able to, to help identify the things that are, they're just odd, right? There are going to be like, whether it's an authorization flaw, an injection flaw, whatever, sometimes it's just not simple. It's just a cascade of things that went wrong. And the only way to know and detect that there is going to be that cascade is for somebody who's a subject matter expert to really thoroughly review that pull, re pull request or those changes. Um, and this, so there's like getting back to it, there's the issue of that's a human process, which is fine in some, some cases, right? Cause you do want, I mean, for us, we have human beings reviewing these pull requests. Um, but the other part is that you need a subject matter expert and that subject matter expert not only has to understand the product better than anyone else, which they should, if they're an engineer, you know, they should better, better than me in security, I'll say. Right. But then also like you're kind of expecting them to have that security mindset and to be putting that at the forefront when in reality, they like have to go through and make sure the linter accepts the format they're doing. They got to get all this feedback from people on the most optimized way of doing things. And there can be a very lengthy conversation on just the best way to do things. Then there's like the nitpicky coding standards, right? And then when you get through all this stuff and it can be lengthy, right? And you're just trying to get this one change enacted. Now you then also have to take a step back and be like, okay, I'm the subject matter expert. I understand this product better than anyone else and how it works. But let me see if there's also some security you know, concerns here. And that may not be obvious. So that's why I say like, when you, training's great, but I think if you talk just about implementation details, you will forever have this like thing of like, oh, well that wasn't vanilla injection. Well, of course it's not. Like that's the little area that we need to fill in is like having these subject matter experts have that mindset, but also it being part of the workflow on top of all the other billion engineer related things they have to do with a pull request. Yeah. Like well, and that's, but yeah. And I mean, and that's the reason that we all, we're always going to have flaws, right? And there's always going to be security issues in products because the edge cases always exist. Um, it's never going to be a truly, you know, quote unquote, solved problem. Security isn't, right? Like it's, it's going to evolve over time. Um, you know, we see increases in specific types of vulnerabilities and then decreases in those vulnerabilities as we get a handle on how to talk about it how to use a framework, how to implement framework nuances, right? Like that, you know, our favorite word. Um, and which is great, but, you know, to your point, the training of developers is, is always going to be that fine line. And, and that's where I struggle is, um, okay, we have people coming into a company, coming into an industry, learning how to program, learning how, like, how to utilize these frameworks and implement code, write code, where is the best point to actually start talking about security? Um, and, and what level do you need to do that at? Um, so it's one thing to go through one of the intro, in, intro courses 
like David's talking about, kind of learn what the security threats are, but it's another to go to the level that you're speaking about, right? Hey, this is a secu- this is a subject matter expert for GitHub, right? For this application, security is going to look different wherever you're at. And so we've got to train both the wider level and uh, you know what the threats are and also the deeper level. So there's multiple different aspects to training that we're worried about that may or may not be applicable based on what your environment is. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I yeah. guess my, yeah, my takeaway is there's no, there's no silver bullet when it comes to training and we've got to think about it at that level that there's different places where it fits in, where someone's at at their career is important. What they're trying to accomplish is important. What you're trying to import impart to them and like the feedback loop it's not a one and done situation no so yeah definitely not definitely it's definitely not and it's and like i said it's just a hard problem to solve it's like also you know the people that want to take the training um because you know this this is not forced stuff right this isn't this isn't we're not forcing anything you will have your your forced trainings we talked we covered that there's 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 scorm compliant so you will have that (laughs) yes um so you have that but um it's just it's like how do i say it the people that are curious are always going to be the people that are curious right and those are the people that they're going to seek out the training because of the same person that when they they look at a pull request they ask themselves what what was this intended to do and what what's possible here because they're curious and honestly, like, I think the curiosity kind of mindset is the, the real, if we were to zoom out of all other factors, the one thing I can tell you that's consistently successful is the individual that is curious, period. They're going to be the one to ask the right questions, to wonder and, and explore why this PR is doing what it is, or these code changes are doing what they are. They're going to be the one that seek out knowledge and additional training just because and those people are really hard to find. Um, and more, I shouldn't say find. Those people will present themselves. What they are, are hard to retain. And then hard to get their time uh, to focus on these things because they're valuable individuals. They naturally, like I mentioned, they're curious. This, they're Yeah. Uh, uh, cool. Hey, sorry. I lost Seth there for a second, but anyways, yeah, these individuals are just basically, uh, like I said, curious individuals, um, that care deeply about learning about the, you know, things that are going on and, uh, and all that. So kind of wrapped up there, maybe a little early for Seth. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah. So I think I'm going to just, since Seth is, not quite back. I'm going to put in another link here. Um, yeah, jump jump to the next topic. Sorry about that. Um, no worries. The, um, yeah, there's a few. You 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 tell me what you what you want to uh, discuss. Um, there was this uh, wise engineering article. There was the White House's like FDA style security standards. There's the like confusion on zero trust stuff like yeah I'm, I'm cool to go whatever way we want with this stuff yeah I, I like i i would like to talk about the white house but maybe let's start with zero trust um 
Like, so, and yeah, why security teams are losing trust in the term zero trust, right? Like, uh, that seems like, yeah. yeah. Um, but my question to you, right, you know, is, and this is going to be, what is zero trust, Ken? Yeah, so I don't know. That's the answer. I don't know. I mean, I think the idea I understand, which is like, yeah, you you treat everything as if it, like, for instance, uh, just-in-time access is a good example of this. Like, you don't just get to keep your access all the time. Like, if you, say, signed in through, I don't know, Oct or whatever. Um, no, like, you're, uh, it, like, two days ago, I'm saying, and you want to access something sensitive. It's like, no, there should be a just-in-time check to make sure that within the last hour or I don't know, five minutes, your, your access, what, no. Yeah. If, if at any time up until this moment you were, you know, your access should have been revoked for one reason or another, it'll do that check and then grant you those temporary permissions. Um, but I think ultimately it's just an idea of like reducing access to only what is absolutely required at the time it's required auditing heavily. And, uh, you know, they talk about like one example be, uh, internal network segmentation, like, man, this is a, how long have we talked about network segmentation and how often do people not do that? And especially with like the introduction of Kubernetes, there are, there are options for it, but how often do you see, like you consult, right? I'm sure you get access to a lot of people's, uh, you know, Kate, Kate's or Kubernetes uh, setup. How often are people actually doing that correctly? So anyways, that's what my idea of zero trust is. What's your idea of zero trust? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically like, I feel like the name zero trust is a misnomer, right? Um, because it's, it's basically, it's just authorization and like validation of that authorization, right? Um, at like very tightly integrated with the access that you have or what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so from a development perspective, we've always kind of put this into place, uh, you know, like, hey, you want to access a specific resource I'm going to check whether or not you have that at that level of access. And then I'm going to validate that every subsequent, subsequent request. Um, how, how long you have access to that, like all these other like indications come into play. Um, but there's this idea that we're, you know, it's basically just this idea that I'm going to check your authorization level every time that you access a specific resource. Right. Um, at least that's my understanding of it. And it feels like every single vendor has a different idea of what zero trust is, which isn't that surprising to me because they're all trying to solve it in different technology or with different technology within different like levels of the stack of the network stack. And it's going to depend on what authorization looks like at each of those different levels as to what zero trust means to that specific vendor, to that specific organization. And so it's Which just a point. Broad. Yeah. If you say like, well, this product has zero trust, but it's sitting inside of a flat network that's got like, you know, totally vulnerable web apps, like lockdown firewall, but totally web app, vulnerable web apps connected to that soft, gushy interior that are like just sitting there waiting to be owned. Yeah, cool. You got a zero trust product for one area of one part of this terribly insecure network, right? So it's like, and I think they touch on that, which is like these vendors keep saying, well, this is a zero trust product. This is a zero trust product. This is a zero. And it's like, cool. But that is not 
you have to realize that zero trust has to mean everything has zero trust or nothing has, you know, zero, yeah. zero trust. Right. So it's like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just, was this RSA? Like, what was this? Was this at RSA this year? I bet you this is what it was. I bet you it was <laughs> sure everywhere it was. in all the booths. They're like fucking zero trust, man. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. So anyways, whatever. Well, I Next don't know. Year it, it'll be something yeah, else. It's something else. It always is. Right. Like it, it, and we struggle with this when it comes to marketing terms in security in general. Right. Because, um, like we're trying to describe very complex topics or very like broad security protocols um, in a manner that can be understood to Gartner level executives, I guess, right? Like, I think that's probably where it comes from. So like someone wandering around RSA that has the ability to buy products or, you know, is going to be is going to hone in on the new thing or whatever they've been told or whatever they've heard from their security team that they're looking for. So in this case, right, zero trust is one of those items that's popped up. And so all the marketers are marketing zero trust, even though we don't necessarily understand what that is. Um, I mean, we, we've, we've done this in the past. We've done it with single sign on. We've done it with like how many different terms over the course of the last 20 years, right. That you've heard Ken. Um, And every time the marketers, the security products professionals or whatever, right. Whatever you want to call it, the security product companies use these terms for sort of like a silver bullet of, Hey, this is the technology that's going to solve security for your organization. Um, And it doesn't, right. Like that's, Yeah. I don't know, yeah, man. But, I, like, but, yeah, yeah. Seriously, I like I, I like leisure leisure suit, Larry. I just I have to say the leisure suit part is Larry. He's got a good point. Uh, zero trust for zero trust vendors, kind of things. <laughs> yeah, I just put in a, I just put in an image of Brando, you know, because that's what it feels like. It's like it's got, it's got what plants crave. It's got electrolytes. <laughs> it's got zero trust. Yeah. I, 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 it's hilarious. I, I mean, it's just interesting that that article, it's basically what it is, is it's just bagging on the fact that zero trust is no one really understands what it is. So maybe we need to like scale back the use of that term and actually start talking about authorization, what level that we're doing it at, where it, where we actually fit in our overall security onion, right? Like whatever you want to call it. And instead of just saying, oh, I'm zero trust and thinking that that's going to solve specific problems for it that the, the products won't necessarily address. The overall concept does, right, make sense, though, but it's not a new concept. That's the that's the thing that's kind of funny about it. This is never this is not a new no, we have a name for it, but it's not a new concept. We've always said, like, you know, the like you said, you, we, we actually you just touched on it. You said onion right layers that's what people yeah. we that's kind of how we refer to it as security as an onion that, that's zero trust in a nutshell right like you use a layered approach um so anyways i don't know it's it's just kind of funny to see somebody be like well they, security pros don't agree on it like yeah probably um but with a different bend than i think that they're thinking of it's just more like what you're really saying is vendors i think have a different idea of it from practitioners, but also at scale, man, that, that is, I've touched on it with, uh, 
one in, in Slack, but, you know, I basically said, uh, you know, most companies have, have an issue, especially at scale with basic hygiene things, right? Like cleaning up account access, for instance, is a very difficult problem. I don't, you know, not criticizing because at all, it's, like, it's just a very difficult thing to do correctly um, at, with a large amount of people that you have to, you know, perform secure access for. So then inventorying, right? Like knowing of all, knowing all your properties and where where all the things are living and fighting against shadow IT and all that stuff. All that stuff's very hard. So there's a lot of problems that are still very unsolved that are basic security hygiene type things. So anyways, it's, I think that's, well, or more interesting, uh, you know, I, that's unsolved still. It is, it is. And, you know, in general, like the, this idea of having, you know, these tokens that need to be provided at all the different levels in order to access uh, resources and data that you should have access to all sounds great, right? Like, you know, but we can go back to the days of, you know, ring zero, uh, you know, access on mainframes and like you know that idea like we we have solutions for these these problems that have existed for decades and um every time that we step into a new marketing term every time that we step into a new technology we have a tendency to forget the lessons of the past or not learn from them because it's somebody new that thinks they're coming up with a new idea or a new term um and i know you know uh Stefan and I like to bitch about this all the time, right? Like, you know, like we just rename. Stefan now, he doesn't no, do that. No, no, we don't do that at all. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's you know, like the concepts that are, were in theoretical white papers from the 50s and 60s when it comes to computing and security still exist. And we're still implementing those just with different names and different branding uh, nowadays which is fine, right? Like whatever it takes to get that security implemented. Um, but you can't, like, I don't know. I, I, it goes back to the security nihilism that there's like, we haven't solved it. We didn't solve it when we've had solutions for so many years. So why do you think that this new, whatever like term is going to, to, to make any difference? Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you on the security hygiene or the basics perspective, right? Like we always talk about Crocs and socks. And this is what it goes back to is how is it actually implemented? Um, like I, I have, I have issues with uh, use of some of these tokens, right? Like we start talking about jots and like how long lived they are and the problems that exist with those and how we actually trust jots, you know, how, how tight we are into um, backend IDPs for that access. And if you're not doing some of those basics of, you know, user product system app inventory then the use of zero trust or any technology is not going to be secure because we're not doing the basics yeah yeah so yeah we're not um yeah well you know it, yeah we're, we're not i mean it's i don't think it's we're not doing it everywhere Uniformly, perfectly, of course. That's that's not. I don't even think that's that's not going to be a thing for for quite quite a while. Um, you know, I think it's just. I think really what it comes down to is, you know, like, hey, do I want to spend a bunch of money on, you know, something that claims that it does X Y Z and you know has all these bells and whistles? But yeah, like at the end of the day, I probably need to spend more time and more energy and 
maybe not even money, just more time and energy on, you know, internal problems that I know, like if I was running, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I was running a program. That's where I put my energy, whether it was money, whether it was time, whether it was resources in terms of people, um, whatever it might be, that's where I would uh, prefer to put my time rather than, Hey, let's buy some new, some new products and let's, let's do, I mean, if you saw the budget I, I use and the way it's split up, um, you know, cause like I, I'm, uh, for those who don't know, my job at GitHub is primarily, so within the product security engineering space, we handle the offensive capabilities or adversarial capabilities. So like red teaming and then like code reviews, pen tests, stuff like that. Two different teams. But anyways, that's our set of department. That's our slice of the department. And like our budget is funny because it's not, it's not all probably the way, it, you know, shaped the way you would think, right? We don't, we're not buying a bunch of products. We're not buying a bunch of scanners and tools. It's just not, it's just not, we found that it's not necessary. Um, in fact, it's actually time prohibitive in a lot of cases. Um, and also there's some other caveats to some of the products about having to work with other teams uh, to get operationally things deployed. And that can be very difficult and it can cause problems and all that stuff. Um, like literally like cause problems with the product and stuff. So anyways, um, it just wouldn't be split the way people think. I think uh, it's, it's mostly our, Honestly, we don't even have huge teams doing these things. These are these are very, you know, we're talking about very uh, kind of small teams with with very experienced, uh, knowledgeable people, right? And, that, and that's honestly where I think the most value is always going to be is just in people rather than products. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Anyway, so don't need to beat that up forever because I do want to move on to this White House because uh, I think this is so interesting to me. This is fascinating. Really? Yeah. But yeah, I don't know if you wanted to wrap up that last topic. Um, no, I, I, I think you're good, right? Like from a zero trust perspective. I, yeah. I, I mean, I'd just say, right. Like take it all with a grain of salt, right? Like the new terms as they pop up, have a tendency to, you know, they're implementing some older older concept older idea at least in a new way um but recognize that there is multiple facets to it that's all hmm. um good so as far as the white house goes um let's yeah, post that the article in now yeah internet this of things is... labeling so this, which they yeah. call it internet of things which i know that it is Part of that is addressing Internet of Things, but I think it's a little wider than that. Uh, it's just, I don't know, man. Maybe it's SEO optimization or, I don't know. Maybe it makes, makes it more I, interesting. Yeah, I mean, part of it is ICS systems, right? Critical ICS systems. Um, so inf infrastructure control systems, that's what they're calling it. Not, you know, internet, whatever, or, yeah. But the systems that actually control our physical infrastructure, wait, wait, which, you know, makes it's reasonable to me, right? That the government's looking into this. Um, we should give a summary of the, what they're okay. into. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to do that or should I? Go for it. Go for it. Sorry, I'm looking in the fact sheet now. So go for uh, it. <laughs> cool. So while Seth is digging into the fact sheet, uh, the basic guideline or the basic gist is having a <clears throat> sort of a tiered, labeling system of uh hey i'm a consumer so 
I'm a consumer, I'm going to buy a product and this label is going to tell me if on this product, if it's really good security or not great security, um, which I think is highlighted towards the very bottom of that article. They mentioned, you know, what would be confusing to consumers, what they're trying to avoid is a, did this barely pass the standards or does this like passing with flying colors? They want to make that clear. Like this passed with flying colors. They care about security. And that labeling system is very similar to like the Energy Star stuff when they started putting Energy Star ratings on products to show that like, hey, this is really like an energy efficient product. And I think this is fantastic uh, for a lot of reasons. At least I'm very optimistic now. We'll see how time goes on. Uh, But I think like just my take real quick is just like, dude, all I'll say is look at all those child like baby nanny cams and things like that from a few years back when people were just like logging in and and you could just see people's like kids. And then some people were like screaming through the mics at these poor sleeping babies and traumatizing them and stuff like that should have never happened. Those parents didn't sign up for that. Right. They, they bought a product. They didn't know any better. Just cause like, just cause you, that's no fault of your own. You're just buying a product, someone's selling and you would assume that the security would be pretty good, but obviously it was, horrible and and you know like we're talking like telnet open with no to the internet with no password kind of thing and or default credentials and all this crazy stuff that they were shipping with so anyways that's that's the broad overview of my like initial take but i'd be curious to hear yours for sure yeah and i i mean i i posted in there what what came out of the fact sheet itself right specific to the devices whether or not devices are secure so it mentions iot devices um, but then they also they, they talk about things like uh, um, networking routers, like, you know, so cable modems, like routers, things that you're using on your network that maybe you don't necessarily think of as traditional IoT. Right. So your Internet of Things, we always think of things like smart light bulbs, cameras, webcams, um, all those sorts of devices. Um, but realistically, where it has, where it probably will have the biggest effect is the devices that are pushed to you from uh, from your ISP, from your service provider, right? Somebody gives you a modem, gives you a Wi-Fi, uh, you know, access point. What are the what security is actually built into that? Doesn't meet these specific standards. I also want to start seeing details about what is going into this. Right. Like, are they doing some sort of secure code review? Are they doing like what sort of analysis feeds into this? Is it just low hanging fruit? Is it the stuff that you and I deal with on a daily basis that they're looking for? Or is it just, you know, I like the basics, like what sort of leveling system will this will this evolve to? Who's actually involved in this? Um like I'm, I'm really interested in how it actually moves forward because we've struggled with this for so long. Um, I mean, in general, we've struggled with like just consumers using the internet in a secure manner. Um, it wasn't until browsers started to implement, uh, you know, secure by default accessing like, you know, port 443 over port 80 that we really started to clean up the network communications and what could be sniffed out of the air at a coffee shop, right? Like those sorts of (laughs) basics um, have taken so long. And even then most consumers don't even, don't even look at the lock that shows up in their browser. They couldn't tell you whether or not they're actually secure. Bro, the amount of people I've been told that like, not recently, but you know, back when it was a big thing of cracking Wi-Fi and sniffing 
passwords and or just like whatever, just sniffing traffic in general. Um, they'd be like, well, I don't really care. Just, like, just whatever. Like my Wi-Fi is like, you know, it doesn't cost me more money if they use it. Like, oh my god wow <laughs> back to that education thing huh <laughs> so yeah um yeah no, it, it, yeah it all comes full circle uh, and and that's what i always kind of go back to from a like security or developer perspective is okay all these products are intended for consumers and even business consumers right who just don't have the same sort of security bent that you and i do um, and we get into these silos because you and I are thinking about it all the time that we have our tinfoil hat on. So like, you know, even, you know, untra- you know, people in, within my social network don't necessarily have the same threat model that you and I do. Um, the and- zero trust threat model. Yeah, the zero trust threat model, right? They just, you know, they implicitly trust when someone calls them up that that person represents who they say they represent. Um, And yes, we're learning and we're flipping that script, but it's only because people are being taken advantage of. Um, And so I think it's great that a labeling system is coming out from the government, but we've tried to do this in the past. Like industry has, you know, like think back to like uh, the days of McAfee's like this site is safe button, right? That they would throw or, you know, stamp that they would throw on everything. Check, right? Like uh, safe, it, you know, it's safe. And if it's that same level, I, I don't know if it's actually going to solve anything. Like I, I feel like PCI has tried to do this. Um, well, and to your point, let's pause there for a second about PCI. Okay. Yeah. PCI tries to help, right? Has PCI? Well, gosh, that's a whole can of worms if I ask this question. Has it, has it helped? I'll just pose it. I don't need an answer. This isn't even something we need to talk about. I'm going to pose the question, question, the rhetorical question. Has yes. PCI measurably improved the state of security across the industry? I'll just leave it at that. I'm not saying it has or hasn't. I'm just saying that's a question, right? Uh, because I think it very much falls into this. Now, why I'm saying this is it's very much connected to now who is going to be creating these labels? Who is going to be the one performing the testing, right? I'm saying this because when it comes to compliance, when it comes to you know PCI, we have auditors. And the measure of the success of that program on your audit is solely based on the, the, the auditor themselves, right? There are like, common standards, those are obviously up to interpretation in a lot of cases, and it really does come down to your auditor, right? So now, who is going to be responsible for the testing of all of these devices? And how effective will that ultimately be? I guess that's the major, that's one of many, I'm sure, major questions. Yeah. Is it going to be an auditor, a third party that you pay money to, to come in and tell you whether or not your product's good? I mean, surely there's no, there's never been any kind of issue with that. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't, yeah. Damn it, it, it'll, Seth, I was hopeful and you ruined it again. Seth ruined right, everything. <laughs> I, this, this is the problem when you start to look at, you, you start to pull those covers up a little bit, right? Like is, I, and then I also start to question, right? Okay, you, you, you go down that rabbit hole of, well, you know, 
the organization that you've contracted to do this? Is it, um, you know, you know, what politicians are they funding on which, you know, uh, which agencies and who's actually like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with it, right. As far as whether or not it's going to be effective because we've seen this in the past. Um, and it doesn't mean that the energy standards haven't worked. It just means, all right, you know, it does give some base level of assurance. Great. Sure. Um, will there be problems? Yes, there's going to be problems. There's going to be issues. This isn't, this isn't, uh, you know, end all be all people will use shady auditors or cheap auditors or whatever, right. They'll try to get around the system, even with the label and um, what does enforcement look like, right? Are we going to require this? Are, are consumers even going to look at it? Uh, yeah. That's it. Because, well, you know, if, and this is going to be a, this is, I mean, they mentioned in there, it's not just the U S this is a global standard. So then it's going to, it's going to be very like, it's going to vary. Like I think, right. On like where you are in the world on how it's handled, I would imagine. Right. Cause that's governance. It's highly dependent on if you're in the EU, if you're in the States, if you're in APAC and whatever. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but I, I was know. hopeful. And then you came in. And took a jackhammer to any <laughs> semblance of positivity and optimism uh, that I had. Sorry. So <laughs> you and your stupid brain and thinking, <laughs> critically thinking through this. <laughs> you you asked me what I thought, so I started. To I, dig know. In. Yeah. I know. I, I, I know. I don't That's know. That's why like, people don't like honesty. I know. <laughs> I, yeah. No, this is great. This is great. Like, yeah. As we unpack, it's like, okay, well, there's a lot to think about here. Yeah. Thankfully, they they they. They do say they have some think tanks on it. So <laughs> they have some think tanks. I'm laughing. And you know, the, the, that, so. <laughs> the think tanks are always good too. I, the, I, I, if reading through that fact sheet as like where they talk about the labeling system, the other thing that uh, was in that, um, like the cybersecurity initiatives, one of the things that they did call out is uh, promoting like cybersecurity apprenticeships. Um, yeah right from the department of labor and the departments of commerce and department of commerce, which is encouraging to me, right. Um, with the number of jobs that we see open the number, like the lack of people of workforce that we have in the security industry. Right. Like I just, like it goes back to training. Like, is that something that's going to be effective? What is it that they're teaching people? Um, but like, I'm encouraged that they're, you know, we're at least thinking about this at high levels in the government um, where they're trying to solve problems. There's always going to be an issue. I'd rather see something implemented and then tweak it over time than just throw up our hands and say, well, it's unsolvable. Let's just move on and, you know, give everyone all of our data. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, yeah. Let me see. Anything else? Also Any other thoughts on that? What? No, 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 not, no. I just was looking at um, the link that, uh, cause yeah, like yeah, uh, hoodie pony, uh, Daniel had put in uh, the regulation in the EU. So kind of going down the same path this type deal. So I don't know. It's better than nothing, I guess, but more maybe, I don't know. Now you got me questioning everything, Seth. Uh, 
Anyways. Is it, is it, is it going to move the needle? Maybe. Maybe. I, yeah. Maybe. It's, it's, it's too Maybe early to Maybe it's a step in that direction. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I would those... love, honestly, seriously, zooming out, I would love if people didn't, if they could look at two products or whatever, they go into Best Buy or Amazon or wherever they go for their products, you know, they're like, hey, um, want to have some home camera type stuff or automation or whatever they want to do, right? And they're able to say like, okay, this product has the high, like a very high level of security and that's what my priority is. And for people whose priority is not that, for whatever reason, they can go with the cheaper, uh, presumably maybe cheaper product or whatever and, and go that route. Um, and then maybe, and also maybe they're just like tech savvy and, you know, whatever their reason might be, maybe they're tech savvy. They don't, they'll take the cheaper one and harden it themselves, whatever. Right. Or whatever the case may be. But I, I think giving people the options, uh, at least uh, a step in the right direction. But as you mentioned, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of details in, in, in the, in the way are on the path to that that yes. need to be hammered out correctly. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yep. That's, that's going to be it. Right. Um, but it's yeah. deeply unsettling to think people are just buying products, not super tech savvy, plugging them in and people are screaming at their babies in the middle of the night. That's deeply unsettling to me. It's not okay. So uh, anything that kind of like prevents that kind of stuff is uh, money in my no. eyes. Yeah, no, it is. It is positive. Right. Like, you know, and the, you know, the capitalist you know, in me says, right, those products that are more secure will should be more effective and successful in the market because they don't introduce those sorts of things. If we can represent that on a label, great. That's going to be that's going to drive consumer behavior at some level. And, you know, it should come full circle. However, we get there, you know, it, you know there, there's just a lot to be determined yet. Right. As far as what that looks like. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, we've been so, going for an hour and we've covered like two articles. So that's about how it goes, right? Three. I guess we did. That all we did? Or three? We did three. We did oh, three. Oh, cool. Sweet. We got three articles. That's like a, that's like a, that's the highest we've hit, hit in a while. So <laughs> sweet. Um, yeah. I, I think that about covers it for today. I mean, kind of to put a bow on it, I, th I think where it, from my perspective, just I question, right? Like, I think it goes back to what you said with the developer training, Ken, like, you know, ask the questions, be inquisitive, um, you know, don't take everything with, uh, you know, with zero trust, right? Like, it, <laughs> just, you know, uh, take it with yeah. a grain of salt because there's, there's agendas everywhere. People trying to push their, you know, their own, uh, their own, agenda as opposed to somebody else's and um but you know there there is cause for optimism and we can get there i don't know <laughs> he's he's just wraps it up you just wrap it up with like but like it's cool to be optimistic maybe i don't know <laughs> but like everything's still terrible to be clear <laughs> but, but like also yeah i'll try to be happy about it i don't know we're all we're all just on a and a ball floating in the middle of the, the universe. <laughs> Anything can happen any moment. <laughs> Anything Nothing can happen matters. any moment. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. None of this makes sense. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. I like it. Oh uh, like yeah. It. That, 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 that's where I'm at. You know, personally. You're hanging out with Stefan so. too much, man. Exactly. That's the problem. I've been talking to Stefan too much. 
Uh, good times. Uh, maybe we should just let him on and we could talk about info warfare some more about how we're all just being like fleeced. So it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we will enjoy. Sweet. Cool. That was a fun one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Join us on Slack and yeah. Otherwise we'll see everybody soon. We do have other, some guests that we are uh, curating that'll be on the show in the next yeah. month or so. Yeah, uh, I think Aaron and I are coordinating on that one. It's just we had some other things we had to get submitted by the end of last week uh, for like conferences and stuff. So uh, and some cleanup on our YouTube. So uh, the next priority is getting those with uh, Aaron uh, scheduled out. Uh, those guests probably, you know, broken up so that we have our, uh, you know, cadence. So it's it's not just a bunch of interviews in a in a in a row and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. Anyways um yeah i don't have anything else other than i was gonna say i just appreciate like as always everybody who listens who watches who participates especially when you participate uh just means a lot um and like like we've mentioned we're gonna be traveling more going to more conferences things are starting to pick back up feeling a little bit more like normal uh you know and we're getting back into it so and we have been getting back into it so anyways why i'm saying that is like seth mentioned maybe we'll put together meetup uh, but we definitely like meeting people, hanging out, all that stuff is super fun. Um, yeah, just happy to be back to it. And thanks for everybody listening. Yep. All right. Thanks, everybody. We will see you all next week.